Okay, we continue our, our, our look at um, <clears throat> John 5, although it's somewhat tangential tonight. Uh, I told you that uh, John 5 has been called the, um, the discourse on the sonship of God because the primary theme has to do with his deity. Now, gang, um, you have heard it said around here, I hope, that there is not one maverick molecule in all the universe. Uh, I, I got that from R.C., um, but it's certainly a conviction of mine as well. <clears throat> but um, to believe that, there are, there's, a, there's a few things that are a, a couple of key words in the Christian lexicon that are dear to many of us, particularly if you're a, reformed, a reformer like myself, um, concerning that, that there are no maverick molecules in the universe. One, of course, is the term sovereignty. It's a precious term to us. Um, uh, it has to do with the sovereignty of God. A sovereign is someone who rules. Um, and God is described over and over again in the Scriptures as, um, as, the, as the God who rules and reigns, which means I don't. That is, he reigns, I don't. Um, he's sovereign, I'm not. Uh, he doesn't share his throne. His throne is not built for two. It's just him, not me. Now, the other word that is dear to us is really a subset of his sovereignty. And that has to do with providence. That's the word that, that we so love. And providence is a term that describes his governance of the world that he created and everything in it. All the land, the sea, and the earth, and the heavens, and everything in them are his, and he's governing those, uh, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> in, his, in his providence. Um, of course, the classic text concerning his providence is found in Genesis 50. You remember... Um, uh, the book of Genesis is, you know, it's 50 chapters long. But uh, is it 13 or 14 of those chapters has to do with one story. And that's the story of Jacob. And Jacob is the one that was sold by his brothers into um, slavery. He went down to Egypt. He was bought by Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. She lied about him. He went to jail. He was down there in jail for a couple of three years. Then they had the dreams that he interpreted. And he spent two more years. Then he finally got, he rose to the Right into Pharaoh, he distributed all the, the goods between the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. His brothers finally got into the act, uh, the ones that sold him into slavery. They come down there, they try to get him, he hides who he is. He, then he comes, you know, they, he finally reveals that I'm the brother that you sold into slavery. And so they're shaking in their boots thinking, oh no, it's, uh, it's revenge time. And, and Jacob says, no, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to do that. And, um, and then in the midst of that, he says this, he makes this statement. This is Genesis 50, 20. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Oh, there's just, there's just wonderful things to be enjoyed about that statement. But the term that I draw your attention to is that the, the God meant it. All those little ins and the outs and the cracks and the crevices and the turns, the right turns, the left turns, the you know, yada, 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 yada. All of that uh, was under the sovereign governance or providence of God. You had your ideas, but God was using what, what had, had ordained all these things to come to pass, even um, as it was so much pain in, uh, in, the, lives of, in the life of Joseph. Okay, <clears throat> tonight, <clears throat> what I want to give you um, is a glowing example, I think, 
of, of that providence by which God governs his universe. And again, um, it grows out of my contemplations of John 5. Really, verse 17, um, you remember we looked at it a, a little bit last week. In John uh, 5, 7, in verse 17, he says, My Father is working until now, and I am working. Now, folks, the implication of that, although maybe not clear to you, it was certainly clear to his audience, as you see in verse 18, because they decided, okay, we got to kill him because of that claim that he just made. But um, the implication is that he, like the Father, is the Lord of the Sabbath, which would make him the lawgiver, which would make him God. This is a claim to deity. And as I said, just whereas it may, it may fall on deaf ears here, it didn't to this original audience, as you can see clearly in verse 18. Now, so as I said, the, the key theme in John 5 is deity. The deity of Christ. And for us in this group, us, you know, we, uh, uh, the Western evangelical 21st century Christians, the, the deity of Christ is not something that we fight about very much. It's in some circles it is, but not in ours. It's, um, it's pretty much considered a verity. Uh, and I, I showed you last week, it's one of the three essentials of the Christian faith. Now, but it hasn't always been that way. It hasn't always been commonly accepted. That is the deity of Christ. Guys, in the first three or uh, two or three hundred years of the church, um, heresies kept coming up. And, and, and the church had to deal with these heretical positions, and most of them had to do with the person of Christ. There were two biggies, two biggies concerning the person of Christ. Number one was the deity. The other is a term I, I don't think you're familiar with. You may be, but it has to do, it's called the hypostatic Union of Christ. Um, now, what is the hypostatic union of Christ? That has to do with Jesus Christ being fully man and fully God, all in the same person. Okay? One essence. It's not that he's God from waist to head and man from waist to foot. No. Or he's not divided down the middle. Um, he is very God of very God and very man of very man. And by the way, that comes out of the Nicene Creed. That's the hypostatic union. That was one of the big, one of the big, I mean, folks, heresies like docetism, Gnosticism, um, modalism, they were all aimed at the person of Christ. Who was he? And, you know, God forbid that he um, would be deity itself. So the church had to face all these heresies that were coming at them nonstop. And so what they did. And, and to try to answer these heresies is that they called councils. Um, and the first big one, uh, where both of these things were addressed, although this, well, I said the other thing is the deity of Christ. Um, 
Both of these things were addressed at the, at the Nicene, at the Council of Nicaea in 325. <clears throat> um, this hypostatic union thing really was on the it was on the back shelf. It was kind of in the back seat, whereas the deity of Christ was not. Um, whereas I'm saying to you that John five is this grand and glorious exposition of his deity. The church in three twenty five is still fighting about it, and so in essence, the fight was won and was over. It wasn't over. Because, folks, it's not over today because the Jehovah's Witnesses still don't believe in the deity of Christ. Neither do Mormons. Neither does Islam. Um, but, but the fight was settled in Christendom at the Council of Nicaea in 325. Now, it's in that council where I want you to see <coughs> pardon me, the um, the grand illustration of the providence of God as he governed and as he shepherded the church into this position that you and I take for granted today, the deity of Christ. Okay, it's a, it's a little history lesson, but that's where providence unfolds in history. It doesn't unfold in the heavens, it unfolds among us. So let me tell you the story, and um, I hope it will lead you all the way back to that opening sentence, which was, there's not one maverick molecule in the entire universe. And I'm not saying, ladies and gentlemen, that John 5.17 was the foundational text. I'm saying that for us it's unclear. And we've had 21 centuries to, to chew on it. So you can imagine how unclear, perhaps, things were in the early church, which prompted the church to call these councils. And I said last week there were seven of them. The first four are the most important, and the most important of all seven of them was the Council of Nicaea. And, um, oh, ladies and gentlemen, I hope I can do it. I, I can do it a service and not... Um, in the Council of Nicaea, there were two opponents. One was a guy by the name of Arius, out of which came Arianism. <coughs> Pardon me. Arianism. And if you um, want to know, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses is the 21st century version of Arianism. But Arius fought the whole idea of the deity of Christ. He came into the council opposing the deity of Christ. His opponent was a man by Athanasius, by the name of Athanasius. And I told you last week that on his tomb, um, on the tomb of Athanasius, wherever that is, if you ever see it, let me know. Um, but on the tomb is Contramundum. It came from this council of Nicaea. Because it was Athanasius that stood against the world. Uh, uh, Contramundum means against the world. Athanasius stood up against the world to defend the, the deity of Christ. And the battle came down to two words. Two words. Guys, do you remember in the book of Judges, 
Um, it was after, um, whose battle was it? Was it Gideon's? And um, they were standing at the River Jordan and they were asking people to pronounce a word, uh, Shibboleth or Sibboleth. Uh, and if they mispronounced it, they were killed because it, it betrayed and belied their, their ethnicity. Well, at, um, I mean, little things. But in this Council of Nicaea, over the deity of Christ, there were two words. Two words that became the, the center of the debate. Now, I'm going to take my time to write them up here well. I don't normally do that. Um, <clears throat> but these words are just, um, they're good words, and I don't want to mess them up for you like I have done in the past. Um, the first word was, I'm going to put it in English first, homoousius. Homoousius. Uh, I guess that's how you, oos, no, that's not right. That's English, but here's the, here's the Greek. Okay. <clears throat> now that's important for, and, and you'll see that in just a minute. This is called a, a rough breathe. It's an H sound. So when I, if I put the H in there, you would have homo, which means same. <laughs> Ron said it means homosexual. <clears throat> no, Ron, those are similar words, but um, uh, they weren't fighting that at the Council of Nicaea. Uh, they, they, we are fighting it now, though. I will. Uh, but now, uh, that's the first word. Now watch, guys. The second word... <clears throat> Do you see the difference? We're fighting here over a diphthong. Now, you know what a diphthong is, don't you? Don't you English scholars know what a diphthong is? Two vowels. Way to go, Doc. Um, <clears throat> we're fighting over a diphthong. Now, guys, let me, let me make it worse. You have an O, an M, an O, an I, a U, and an S. Okay, you've got a vowel, vowel, vowel. Okay? Now, so in the Greek language, a lot of times um, to, to alleviate some of these, this, um, these vowels is that they would take out the I. Now, guys, um, an I in Greek is like that. It doesn't have a dot on it. It's just a little comma-looking thing. But they would take the I out and put it under the O. It was called a, um, an, an, an iota subset, I think. Um, subscript. An iota subscript. So the, the, the iota would be down here, and so what you would have is... Oops. Uh, now look at those two words. They're exactly the same, except for the iota subscript, which came out of the middle of those two omicrons. This word means same. It means homosexual, as Ron said. 
Well, that, that means things, and this means sex. No, Ron. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, Usia is, is a word that means being or essence. So that word meant same will put essence. This word, exactly like this word, except for this little iota subscript, means of similar essence. One squiggle mark is the difference between deity and I don't know what you'd call that. That is, Jesus was of similar substance. That was the position of, of Arius. This was the position of Athanasius. And so it all boiled down to, ladies and gentlemen, Now, do you see it? There is not one maverick molecule in the entire universe, nor is there one maverick iota. Now, an iota is a lot bigger than a molecule. But God in His sovereign good pleasure governs in his providential care, governs the Christian church and all who are contained inside her, which is seen in glorious terms in my mind in the fact that he governed an iota. This God of ours, ladies and gentlemen, is a God that doesn't even let letters go ungoverned. Because were he to do so, R.C. says it like this, if, if there was one maverick iota out there, that might just be the fly in the ointment that would ruin everything. If God did not govern this, and this whole council of Nicaea in 325, you wouldn't be sitting here tonight feeling so comfortable in the deity of Christ. You would, I don't know what you'd be, but you wouldn't be singing about Jesus Christ and the Trinity. The whole Trinity collapses, ladies and gentlemen, over that. And so who must govern it? Athanasius? Oh, God used Athanasius. He's quite a hero in the church. I wish I knew where he was buried. I'd like to see the contramundum. But ladies and gentlemen, this ought to be of immense encouragement to you. God had you in mind in 325 A.D. He had this, this room full of interested Christians in mind. Uh, one of the things he had in mind. 
when he intervened in the battle or governed the battle that took place at Nicaea in 325. Now, so not only should it be a vast encouragement, but ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of your difficulties, in the midst of your complexities, the idea that there is no maverick molecule in the universe is not just some kind of theological position and statement of a reformed thinker. It's the thing that should be the life and health of the people of God. That didn't come your way by accident. Because the God who maintained his church by maintaining everything that she believes until the Bible was fully codified and in everybody's hands is that he fought his battles through a man in Nicaea so that you and I could sit here tonight and glory in the truths of the deity of Jesus Christ. Gang, John 5.17 might be of some confusion to you. I, I, can, it, I would certainly admit it. It's not hugely clear. But somewhere, men like Athanasius and others who supported him fought this battle over an iota. And because they did, you and I are spiritually safe. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the glory of providence. That is why Jesus can make statements like, all the hairs on your head are numbered. That's why he can say that there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from his sovereign good pleasure. Folks, the entire, the entire Bible describes for you a God who is sovereign and displays and distributes His sovereignty, sovereignty, sovereignty through His providential care. And this, I think, is a glorious example of it. And I hope that tonight, when you put your head on your pillow and you are in sore distress over all that you seem to be facing right now, that you will remember that this God that you call your Heavenly Father is the God who manages the alphabet. The Greek alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, the English alphabet. And He manages all those who speak them. And He manages all the decisions such that we can safely enjoy a confidence in Him and the redemption that He Produced in Christ Jesus. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, in all of its beauty. Let's quit. Our Father, would you use this little discussion to, um, to encourage your people? Might they see 
um, through this little story about the Council of Nicaea, how gloriously wonderful is your management and care of your people and your church. Lord, we sit here with a, with a degree of um, almost smugness in our theological commitments when in fact everything that we know is to lead us to worship. Might this story, might this truth of providence, might it lead us to the sweet posture of worship of a God where about the only thing that can come out of our mouth is, wow, you're a whole lot bigger than I ever dreamed, which means I'm a whole lot smaller than I ever dreamed, which is where theological truth is supposed to take us, to a place of worship and a place of humility in that worship. Now, Father, bless our community together tonight, now, would all these conversations that are had in this room be nourishing to the soul? We thank you for the evening and do so in Jesus' name. Amen.